Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Brianna Labuskas, the Washington Post bestselling author of five psychological thrillers, but who joins us with her first work of historical fiction, The Librarian of Burned Books. This is a gripping story that's set in the World War II era, and yet we're going to feel some resonance with our life and our world today. Let's meet Brianna to learn more. Brianna Labuskas, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And with that thanks is the fact that you've written this amazing book, The Librarian of Burned Books, historical fiction, which is a genre that I really kind of lean into. I think there's so much that we gain from it. And I am just just in awe of how you have been able to weave in three histories, three women in history into what happened back in Germany in the 30s. The book, of course, referencing book banning and book burning, right? Yes, yes. And so I know in reading a little of your bio, you are someone who loves books. So I'm sure that that was at least part of the impetus in pursuing this and writing this book. Absolutely, it was. I just have always, books have always been my favorite thing. Like I was the you know kid with my nose stuck in the book. Um, and so I always had wanted to write a love letter to books. And what better way to do it than through you know, having that tension of, of people using them for their own gains and, and politicizing them. And so to be able to kind of show both sides of that actually demonstrates their power even more <laughs> because somebody, you know, recognizes how powerful they are, they want to control them. And so I thought that would be such a cool way to tell this story as well as be able to write, you know, how much I love books. And you have certainly achieved that, right? I'm sure you feel that, don't you? I do. I do. I feel one of the the fun parts was like incorporating a lot of literary quotes too, which I I thought was fun way to um, kind of honor all of these books that are so important to all of us. So I got to like dig through a bunch of books. I got to read a bunch of books because a large portion of the story is about the armed services editions, which were sent to paperbacks that were sent to soldiers overseas. And so then I got to read, you know, I went and read the armed services editions. And so while I was writing this, it was just, it was almost like a a cyclical effect of, oh, this is why I love books. And then I got to put it onto the page and see all that. So it felt really, I will always remember writing this book for the rest of my life. It's such like a proud moment for me, no matter how many more books that I write. And is this actually the first uh, historical fiction work that you've written? Yes. I have written um, a bunch of psychological thrillers, but I'm such a a huge history nerd. (laughs) (laughs) I love studying World War II, and especially those moments, that decade between when Hitler was named Chancellor until the war, was really interesting, has always been really fascinating to me. And so I just kind of gave myself permission. I was like, if a story idea comes along and I see a way to write a book, then I should just jump at it. And that's what happened when I learned about the uh, armed services edition for the first time. And that just kind of built and built and built into this 
mystery character <laughs> extravaganza spanning uh, 11 years, I think. Yeah, 11 years. So, yeah, it, it was the first one, but I have always kind of had an eye for history. And, and it's a genre that I love reading. I'm with, I agree with you. I think it just, I love being able to draw parallels to the present and see, our, see humans act like humans through all of history. I like that connection that we can make through looking at the past. Exactly. And it has a way of of leading us into researching some of the history. Of course, you as the yeah. writer, as the author, do that. But I think as, as the reader also, I know that that's what I did. I th- I'd never heard of the special armed services editions. And I thought, I wonder if that's that really is a thing. And then realizing that and, and all the history around it, that is is fact. It all existed and, and the tensions that existed at the time. So we learn so much and and can learn even greater. Yeah, honestly, that was what sparked the whole idea was um, I read about World War II all of the time. I read about World War II books all the time. And I had never heard of the Armed Services Edition. And so I just was so fascinated by this little piece of history. And the more you dig into it, the more you realize that those actually pushed, helped push our publishing landscape into paperback acceptance. So before them, there wasn't really this acceptance of paperbacks. It was all hardbacks and that kind of limited access, it limited access to North, like for average people who were living through the Great Depression they couldn't afford hardbacks. And then you have this paperback push with the Armed Services Edition. There were some other things like the uh, paper shortages in the war, et cetera, that helped move the needle. But this was a big aspect of moving the needle towards uh, more affordable books. And like the, the fact that that's not really something that's common knowledge is I just wanted to really bring that to light. And then on top of all of that, we had the censorship fight that I just thought resonated so much. And all of that, I gave you know, one character, a lot of responsibility in waging the fight against the censorship attempt against the armed services edition. But the Council on Books in Wartime really did kind of do a publicity campaign and they held a big conference to try to get the senator who was trying to to do the censorship fight um, to change his mind. And so all of that is based in reality. And that's the beauty of it for us to realize that And beyond that, just that realization again of how history can repeat itself. And that's why I feel this book, The Librarian of Burned Books, is really so timely because I think at times I was feeling such a heaviness because Mm -hmm. I was connecting the book with today, Yeah, these times. I um, I just talked to a librarian, I think yesterday, and she was like, usually I don't want to read this type of book right now because it's so much part of my life, my daily life. But she found so much hope in it. Um, so I was, I was really so grateful that she reached out to me to tell me because that was kind of the point. Like I hope people walk away. It's, it's all very heavy and it's all very um, sad and timely and relevant, but I do hope people kind of walk away with a little bit of hope in that the power of books does triumph often. I think one of the pleasures of writing historical fiction, to reiterate, is 
just to be able to see those beats that we see all throughout history and to connect to those people who lived during that time. And so you can understand they're having the same fights as we are and mm-hmm. they're having the same triumphs and the same joys and the same grief and the <laughs> same worries. And I think that to be able to recognize those moments is one of the most powerful parts of writing historical fiction, at least for me. And when I was saying that it was heavy, that isn't a negative in the sense right, that, yeah. yes, we can see it come round full circle. And and also just your character development, the, the women that you have with Viv and Hannah and Althea, they, they're just so strong and committed and, and, and so believable. Were you basing them on someone on people you know or how how did you come about them because i i feel they bring us that hope so strongly oh thank you so much um they were actually products i like to explain it this way in that i knew the timelines that i wanted to set the book in before i even knew the characters and maybe kind of came organically through what i wanted to represent out of each of the timelines and so You know, Hannah, for example, she's in Paris, 1936. The world is kind of in limbo. She's in limbo. She doesn't really have a home. Everyone's kind of waiting for war. And so her personality really kind of builds out of that that setting. And same with Althea, same with Viv. Viv, for example, I had some constraints with her because the people who worked at the Council on Books and Wartime volunteers which is fantastic that they did that um but she also needed to be able to support herself in some way so she becomes you know she has private funding for herself um and so she doesn't really have that experience of saying of being told no by life so she's kind of this vivacious character because she's had you know i don't want to say an easy life but life has bent to her will and so she's able to you know, take on this fight, take on this powerful senator without, you know, having other constraints. And for Althea, I really wanted to reflect kind of that naivete (laughs) um, that maybe the world was experiencing outside of Germany when Hitler was first rising to power. And even inside of Germany, where, you know, he's kind of treated as madman who was going to flame out eventually. Um, and so all of those kind of started reflecting and then they built into their own, into their own characters. And um, yeah, for Althea, especially, um, I really, I really love her because I liked representing someone who wasn't innately courageous. And I think fear is a huge part of her personality. And I read a lot of historical fiction and there's like, we tell so many stories, which rightly so, about these really, really courageous women who just seem to be like born for this moment. And Althea really wasn't born for this moment. She was very uh, scared of, of life, essentially. And um, then she finds her voice. And I, I really enjoyed writing her, finding her voice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. I can um, appreciate that. Yes, because um, just to interject ab- about yeah. then how 
really wonderful she is and how encouraging this is for the reader. Um, I can imagine, you know, younger women, um, high school age reading this and and really gaining just so much encouragement out of that development and her evolution, right? That makes, yes, that warms my heart so much to hear you reflect that back. Um, That was kind of my whole point with her character is just to really see her growth and to, and to encourage people, <laughs> I always say I don't really put myself in my characters, but for me, Althea, I do see some of my own personality in Althea where you have to sometimes talk yourself into being courageous. Um, you have to kind of talk yourself into, into doing the right thing, even if it's hard, because it's very scary. Like normal people just, they don't want to get, I don't want to get yelled at. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. Um, and then you have to kind of realize, oh, there are things that are worth doing, you know, getting yelled at for. Um, and so for me, she, her journey was really important for me because I do think it reflected a little bit of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really can appreciate that, uh, you know, just that whole connection with with being a writer and, uh, you know, just yeah. really um, loving books, which she did, which you do, because you say you, you were always with a book in your hand. Yes, exactly. Yeah, she is very much like there are writers, like there are some scenes where she's writing or experiencing the world as a writer and so I really leaned heavily on you know how I approach writing in in that sense and she um she there's even a scene where she's like I have to she hasn't traveled outside of Maine um and she uh she's like I have to look up pictures (laughs) and see and like I have to do this and like that's sometimes what you have to do I looked up a bunch of pictures of the cabarets in Germany um, and some nightclubs in Paris. And like, sometimes you just have to like look at pictures of places to be able to describe them. But that's kind of also some of the, the fun part too. And it, then it's so interesting how authentic it feels. Well, the photos should capture what it was at that time. So yeah. then your talent, your ability to write and describe that and just make it feel as though we're right there. Uh, well, that's your talent as a writer. I think it's fun to, and I'm a, I love photography. So I love the difference of that, that transfer. You know what I mean? So you're looking at a photograph and then you're having to put it into words and the difference, they're both art, but there's a difference in both of them. And I think being able to work with both is also a really cool part of writing historical fiction and for, you know, writing Althea, having that same experience. Oh, it it is just such a really amazing book. It's such a great story. And yes, it's hard at times, but, you know, we have that in life. That's no surprise. Yeah. We, um, you know, and the, and the idea of happy endings kind of enters into it. And, and, and that's really interesting to grapple with and see how things evolve. So, so I think we owe it to ourselves to really pick up, a, a copy of the Librarian of Burn Books, and and of course it's just freshly out, so that's very exciting, right, Brianna? So exciting, yes. <laughs> it feels like it was so far away at one point, um, and now all of a sudden it's February, it's out <laughs> in the world. <laughs> um, so yeah, nervous and exciting, definitely. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I've heard sometimes that uh, authors have referred to this as having given birth, and I imagine that there's some similarities there, even if you've never physically given birth, that there's the idea of just new life. Absolutely, for sure. I also um, like the the metaphor of sending your kid to kindergarten. Mm. Um, <laughs> sure. It's, it's, uh, you know, they're, they've been with you in your house, and you have control of, like, the reaction of what people <laughs> say. And then you're like, go, go out into the world. Um, and they're going to have, you know, people who don't like them or people who love them. And uh, you just really can't control it as the creator. But that's, I've always really resonated with that particular imagery. I like that one. I'm going to yeah. adopt that if that's okay. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But as you say that, sending off your child to kindergarten, how long did it actually take to research and to write The Librarian of Burned Books? So I came up with the idea in fall 2020, and I think we sold it about a year later. And then, of course, there's editing work to be done on the publishing side. But one of my the benefits I have about working in World War II era is have a pretty strong grasp of the generalities. So the timelines and the big players and all sorts of stuff, just because I'm really interested in World War II, I read a lot of World War II fiction and nonfiction. And so there wasn't that research starting from the ground up, Mm -hmm. you know, it was already kind of a base. And so I could really dig into the specific research that I needed to do, which really I think helped with the timing of it. And so that was a few months, and then writing, and then rewriting. I think I rewrote this, I don't know, like 20 times. (laughs) Um, The first version looks nothing like the final version, that kind of thing. But I do think the the bones were always there. And so now you're just kind of reflecting all of the polishing that I've done. It is beyond (laughs) comprehension to think of... 20 revisions, even 10 would be just <laughs> mind-boggling to me. So there, there's another metaphor, labor of love. Yes, absolutely. Labor of love. It's, um, you have to, I think that was another saying that I've seen authors put up is uh, you have to write the books you're interested in, not because you know what you're talking about, but because you're going to read them so many times. Um <laughs> And you just can't get tired. Like, you can't write about a topic that you're just not interested in because you're just going to get so bored. <laughs> so, yeah, I've written it. I'm a, um, it's called a pantser. And so I kind of just sit down and start writing um, <laughs> instead of outlining and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and so my first drafts are very, I call them detailed outlines. <laughs> mm. So it ends up being, you know, the 20 drafts, but a lot of those first drafts are very me going over and making sure everything fits in the right place and all sorts of stuff. So there's a lot of <laughs> working on it. Definitely a labor of love. That is very appropriate. And you use the word you have to uh, really love what you're writing because otherwise you'd get bored. And I wanted to then say there is no getting bored in this book. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, it really is like a page turner because we're just so, I was so just drawn right in. The characters are so compelling. And just to see how it will all evolve. There's so much tension and, you know, talking about relationships, of course, being a huge thing. And here's the thing that 
I don't know that we would have really acknowledged or been aware of, and again, it parallels our times, is looking at the 1930s and queer Berlin, that this was so out in the open, essentially. Yeah, so I feel, I felt like I was tuned into queer history, and then I was writing Hannah's first chapter, and she's riding a bike through Paris, and she's heartbroken, and I was like, and I had this, like, light bulb moment. I'm like, she was in love with Althea, and um, so then it immediately sent me down this rabbit hole of what did a queer relationship look like in 1933 Berlin, and I found this, like, thriving (laughs) community that was, that was, you know, films and magazines and cabarets. And there was a huge institute that was decades ahead of its time on queerness, gender, women's studies, all sorts of things that's still reflective of right now, still progressive. And that's part of the reason I'm so curious about that time in history of going from something that is so progressive to something, you know, fascist, (laughs) the fascist regime. And I think they are connected a little bit. And so being able to research that, be able to find this joy in our history was so, it was so pleasurable, such a pleasurable experience reading all of it, because I think we hear a lot about all of the traumatic parts of queer history, which of course there were, and right after all of this happened, you know, um, gay men were sent to concentration camps, and even when they were freed from concentration camps, they were put in prison because it was still illegal in Germany. And so there are terrible parts, of course, but to be able to tap into some of the joy, I think that gets overlooked a lot, but it's there. Like, you don't have to look very hard to find it either. Um, I was looking at 1936 Paris, and there was a huge thriving community there, too. (laughs) It was slightly less so than Berlin, but it was there. There was, you know, the sapphic literary salon existed, the lesbian nightclubs existed, so you just really don't have to look that hard for the joy, especially in that era, which was really cool to cool to find out. And of course, that's all an aspect of the books that were banned and even now are are tagged or flagged for being banned because uh, of the content. And we think that we are so progressive and we've come so far. I know. I... <laughs> It's almost ironic because, you know, I have this cautionary story about book burnings and bannings, and it would probably be banned in some places because there's a sapphic romance in it. And so I think it's really important to reiterate (laughs) that this is not new and the next steps are very predictable of what's going to happen next. And, And we're seeing all of the same patterns. You know, I wrote this in 2020 it wasn't quite as the fever pitch as it is now, but you're seeing a lot of the same beats and there's going to be a lot of uh, defending it as not burning. They're just, you know, removing books, but you're moving access and you're moving stories and voices that need to be heard in our country's identity. And if you don't, it's very easy to find an example not so long ago where this can go wrong. So I really appreciated being able to draw those parallels. Again, back to our earlier conversation of just seeing, for better or worse, the way that we've always kind of been human. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And seeing where that fear exists, the threat. Yeah questioning that rather than just blindly following, which again is so 
made clear in the book in the development of of the early 30s in Berlin just that blind adulation that existed yeah I really again I feel like I'm repeating myself here but that that time period to me is so interesting um and so I really when I was creating Althea I wanted someone who was going to come in and be like oh Nazis they're like fine everyone says they're great um, and to be able to go through that change, I thought that change is so important, obviously. Yes. Uh, but I wanted to really put that on the page and have her grapple with this idea. And I mean, this is pre-social media, obviously, pre, you know, easy access to a lot of information. She's a, you know, sheltered American who hasn't really heard that much about it. And so to come into... When we're looking back on it, you know, with hindsight, of course, we can say, well, of course, Nazis are evil, but they didn't always seem that way in Germany. So I think it's important to be able to see that you can change your mind if you don't have as much information. That was a really important part of telling her story. Exactly. And we see that... Well, it takes time through the book to see exactly. that real change. It happened for her, of course, early on, but we're not privy to that. But, you know, she continues to write when she comes back home um, to a little town in Maine, Owl's Head, right? I had to look that up on the map because I thought, is it really a place? Of course, why wouldn't no. it be just like Boston and New York City, right? Uh, but anyway, to see her come home and then, you know, Leaping forward, what is it, 11 years, and really seeing how she changed. Uh, you have to read the book to find out how all that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> comes to fruition. But, oh, it's so powerful. Your your language, you know, while you may be taking some of the language from what existed, still the way that you've put it together for these characters is just so amazing and captivating. Oh, thank you. I, uh... I was really worried, not worried, but the there's, I don't think this is a spoiler, but there's some big speeches at the end. And I was writing, you're writing the whole novel to build up to these speeches. And I was like, I'm not a speech writer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I was a little worried um, that they weren't going to land. But I think, they, I think they do. I think it was a cool way to, to really drive home, yes, that change, but also kind of the thesis of the book in a way that you can't usually do without being heavy-handed. And so that was really fun to write. And to see her growth, you know, Althea's growth from the first page to that was, I just, again, I just really liked her her narrative arc. I'm proud of that. And, and there again, I think she's just such an encouragement to any of us who might feel like, oh, what do I have to say or what yeah. difference would it make? I think there's just that real strong, compelling argument that she puts forth that we do need to speak up. Yes. I was um, I was just thinking for another piece about this idea of it's like a psychosis. <laughs> It's a sociological idea, but it's called pluralistic ignorance, where you you have a majority opinion, but you feel like everybody else has the other opposite opinion. And so I think we're seeing that a lot with book banning, because like 70% of people in America like don't want book banning, at the very least. And those are the people who answer polls. Um, so it's a probably higher number. Like most people don't want book banning. And so I think what pluralistic ignorance does sometimes 
is lead to a bystander effect where you don't do anything. You feel like a little paralyzed or you feel like someone else should do something or if no one else is doing something, then you feel like you shouldn't do something. And all of that, I think we have to fight through in this moment and be like Althea and to actually use the voices that we do have to speak up against this because you're going to have a lot of support if you do. Most people don't like book banning. (laughs) Um, And so... Yeah, I think Althea can be very encouraging, I hope. I hope. I hope people take that out of the book is is my biggest take out of the book. Well, I think it's very obviously there. But again, (laughs) (laughs) it's a journey. It is a captivating read. The Librarian of Burned Books, just freshly out. And Brianna, we can pick it up at any of our favorite book sources, correct? Absolutely. Anywhere you buy books. And let's mention and the library. Oh, yeah. you, can, uh, you can request it at your library if it's not there, um, but it should be. Um, but yeah, I really would love library copies <laughs> to to go around. Um, I think this is especially. I would love to see it in libraries. Well, I know that the Seattle Public Library has has it. Oh, I don't think it's on the shelves because it's out. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. That's a, that's what we want to know um, yeah. and have happen. So, and let's mention your website so people can follow you and find out what else it is that you are working on. Absolutely. So it's com. just my name. You also, if you search just my name, you'll, it'll come up or the title. I know it's a tricky, tricky name, but yep, com, and I'll have all my books there and any appearances or anything like that. Any news will show up there for sure. Wonderful. Well, I wish we had so much more time to talk further, but I think we got the essence of it. And the big thing is just get to your library or get to the bookstore and get your copy of The Librarian of Burned Books. So, Brianna Labuskas, it's really been wonderful to have this opportunity to speak with you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And an added note? There are book discussion group questions at the end of the book. This would make great, inspiring conversations for your book group. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Brianna Labuskas and Sunday Morning Magazine with Professor Shelley Touchluck. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of honest conversation, seeing oneness and connection in our world. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.